The strange headlines of 2020 keep on coming. Today, by the way, is Monday, July 6th, and Kanye West has announced that he's running for president and has already gotten the support of Elon Musk. In Virginia, a Robert E. Lee statue is scheduled to be taken down, and there's a petition that has nearly its goal of 75,000 signatures to replace it with a statue of the Guar frontman Odorous Arungus. Hi and hello! You found the podcast for moms who don't have time for podcasts. You can think of me as your internet bestie as we share recommendations, laugh about the ridiculous things we see online, and cheer each other on. I'm Indiana Adams, and today, by the way, is the short and sweet podcast that hopefully brightens your day. I am so glad you're here. After listening to last week's episode about my inability to swim, one of my dear friends who lives here, so someone who didn't know me when I was growing up, asked me if I was afraid of the water. And I was able to answer her honestly. I'm not scared of water. I don't have a water phobia. I got into the pool to dog paddle alongside Caroline when she wanted to swim at the YMCA to refresh her strokes. And never once did I think that I may drown. I just don't like swimming. It's not fun or relaxing. So to me, it's just not enjoyable. I'd rather just sit on the side and dip my feet in. Yesterday, my pastor shared his extreme fear of heights and ladders, and I came home and quickly jotted down five of my fears, some irrational, some completely normal. Aquaphobia, the fear of water, is not on that list. To what is my list? Well, coming in at number five for me is fear of unexpected popping sounds. The key word here is unexpected. I'm not scared of loud sounds. Fireworks were fine. I'm scared that a loud sound will surprise me. This manifests most often when buying a can of biscuits. (laughs) I just got a shiver down my spine thinking about peeling off the cardboard and just waiting for the can to pop. The worst is when the can doesn't pop and you have to get a spoon and press on a seam and you never know when the can will actually bust. Can't stand this and I have already started asking Jude to be the person who opens the can of biscuits for the family. This fear has also caused me to hate latex balloons. I realize that hate is a very strong word, but I will be using it a lot this episode, probably. I think the word hate is warranted here. I hate latex balloons. I hate the squeaking sound they make when they are rubbed together. I hate that people give them to children and then they always fly away or pop, thus making the kid cry. A child with an overblown latex balloon just just gets my heart racing. At any moment, that balloon is going to pop and it's going to catch you off guard. Not at all a fan. Okay, fear number four for me is a false sense of urgency. I don't like countdown timers for things that do not matter. Youth group games are guilty of this. And the game show like Two Minutes to Win It, that show makes me feel very anxious. But I think the best example of this is the music in the Nintendo game Super Mario Brothers. When it speeds up with only a minute to spare to clear the land, my heart speeds up, I start sweating, and I really can't handle it. I try to beat the land before the music speeds up. Fear number three for me is restricted movements, while my ability to speak is also restricted. Basically, I hate the dentist's office. They lay you down in a chair, put their tools on your chest, and then they get their hands in your mouth so you can't speak. The whole experience, even just for a cleaning, is very unnerving to me. 
My dentist knows that they can't rest the spit sucker in my mouth or put any tools at all on my paper bib. They give me a cuddly blanket, put HGTV on, let me crank my music in my headphones, and they write me a prescription so that I can make it through the appointment without slapping someone's hands away or trying to sit up. I hate the dentist more than any other kind of appointment. No amount of HGTV and cuddly blankets will make it okay with having to lay still but being unable to talk. Fear number two are animals that I deem unnatural in movement. Ugh, shivers again. Okay, when I think about the fact that a roach can walk on a ceiling or a wall because it has sticky feet, that makes me want to puke. Walk on the ground, bugs. That's fine. Do not defy gravity. That's not fine. Snakes are my biggest fear because no animal on the ground should be allowed to move as swiftly as they do without legs or feet. And then, and then, snakes can climb up things. Like seven years ago, I saw a YouTube video of a Burmese python who had learned to stretch up to open doors using the door handle. This ain't right, and I hate it. And finally, my number one fear is residual, unresolved childhood fears. Basically, fears that I still harbor from elementary school. These include, but are not limited to, E.T., I hate everything about him, his wrinkly neck, the shape of his head, his voice, his chest, that sick looking glowing finger. The world would be a better place if that movie had never existed. Steven Spielberg, if you are listening, I don't trust you as a person who conjured up and then conceptualized an aberration like E.T. Ugh. Another residual fear of mine is the Unsolved Mysteries theme song. My blood runs cold every time I hear it, or actually every time I even think about it. My friend Katie told me that she's watching the revival on Netflix and that she's way into it. The description says, quote, real cases of perplexing disappearances, shocking murders, and paranormal encounters fuel this gripping revival of the iconic documentary series. Katie reports that the theme song is the same and that it'll take you right back there in a heartbeat. That'd be a no from me, dog. The description alone makes me nope, but knowing that the original theme song is a part of it makes this a hard pass for life. What's funny is that whenever I've mentioned my fear of the Unsolved Mysteries theme song, so many of my friends agree. And maybe that's the greatest unsolved mystery of all. How one song creeped out an entire generation of people. So I wanted to look into this a little more. Gary Malkin co-wrote the theme music to Unsolved Mysteries and said in a phone interview with the New York Times that he used to get letters all the time from parents asking, could you please change the theme music? Our children are terrified of it. Terry Muir, who is the co-creator of the series, says that over the years, she's heard more about the theme music than just about any other element of the show, even Robert Stack, the host's chilly narration style. Mr. Malkin and his co-writer, Michael Boyd, came up with the basic elements of the composition of the theme song in just a few hours more than 30 years ago. It all began with the ostinato, the repeating rhythmic figure that gives this song its sense of urgent, inescapable menace, which he recalls hammering out on a piano. Then he added the bass line, which he describes as, quote, very scary. 
The song also relies on an interval called the tritone, which is also known as the devil's interval or diabolus in musica. The devil's interval is a dissonant combination of tones that creates a sense of tension, ambiguity, and instability, says Neil Lerner, a musicologist who studies music in film and television and teaches at Davidson College. During the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, religious music rarely used the tritone because it created a sense of unease and irresolution rather than majesty and awe. You can hear this diabolus in musica in the Unsolved Mysteries theme song, the Halloween theme song, in Inter Sandman by Metallica, in The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson, in Wooha Got You All in Check by Busta Rhymes, and Slayer has a whole album dedicated to the tritone called Diabolus in Musica. Now the question remains, with Netflix reviving Unsolved Mysteries, will a whole new generation be creeped out by the theme song? All I can tell you is this. The only revival I'm watching on Netflix will be the Babysitter's Club. Chime in with your fears and thoughts on Instagram at today, by the way, or let's discuss this further on Facebook in our community, My Internet Besties. And now a quick break for our sponsor spotlight. Hank Green's first book, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, was released in 2018. I could read you the rave reviews that the Associated Press, the Wall Street Journal, and Entertainment Weekly said. I could share that book reporters said that it was, quote, perhaps as honest a look as we will ever get into the phenomenon of cyber fame, end quote. But instead, I'll read you this great review from a reviewer on Amazon named Rachel McElhenney, who has left 945 reviews on Amazon so far. Of Green's book, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, she writes, April May is a graphic designer who lives in New York City. One night while walking home after getting off work at 3 a.m., she comes across a 10-foot statue of a robot in the middle of the sidewalk. No one else seems to be taking notice of him. Her first instinct is to call her friend and YouTuber Andy to come down and film it. He meets her at the robot and makes a video of April and the robot, who she has named Carl. Andy goes home and posts the video, and by the time April wakes up, It's gone viral. Majorly viral. And that's all the details of the plot I can give you without spoiling it. An absolutely remarkable thing raises important questions about internet fame in the age of social media and YouTube. How far is too far to go in the pursuit of internet fame? Can two sides of an issue ever see eye to eye or have a nuanced discussion using social media and the internet? What role does fear play in communicating using social media? These are just a few examples of what this book will make you think about. The novel's out in paperback or at your library and also for cheap in audio form. And the sequel and conclusion of the story, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, is out to sparkling reviews. Hank wanted his publisher to sponsor a ton of small podcasts to promote the new book, but they said that was too weird. So instead, Hank took 5% of his advance from the book and he did it himself. Library Journal's starred reviews said, Throughout this adventurous, witty, and compelling novel, Green delivers sharp social commentary on the power of social media and the benefits and horrendous consequences that follow when we give too much of ourselves to technology. The book is out tomorrow, July 7th, in physical, audio, and ebook, wherever books are sold, or you can just go to hankgreen.com and that will get you to where you need to go. A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor is out tomorrow. More info on that and an absolutely remarkable thing is at hankgreen.com. Giant robots, huh? 
the way 2020 is going, I'd have to say stranger things have happened. using prep dish for three years now. And now that I'm back to a gluten-free, high-protein way of eating, I am so thankful that I'm not spending hours culling recipes and shopping lists from all over the internet trying to make a kid-friendly keto meal for my whole family. Prep dish is my kitchen VIP. Prep dish is a healthy meal planning service that offers a variety of options, including dairy-free, paleo, gluten-free, and keto menus, which is what we do. They email you the entire week's grocery list, which you can print or save to your phone, and then it's one trip to the grocery store or one session putting in your order at your favorite curbside pickup or grocery delivery service, and then you're set for the week. Along with the shopping list are detailed instructions so you can prep all of that week's meals in one go. This is now our family's Monday after breakfast tradition. We turn on the tunes and we get to prepping together. I'd love for you to see how easy Prep Dish is too. Visit PrepDish.com slash today to try it for two weeks completely free. That's PrepDish.com slash today. Hit me up if you take advantage of that free trial. I would love to know what dishes you are prepping. And now, back to the show. Last week's community challenge was to give something a second chance, and my buddy Tabitha Carnes rose to the challenge and won last week's surprise. This week's community challenge is to enjoy something you enjoyed as a child, but haven't enjoyed lately. I loved dance class as a kid. In high school, even though I was on the dance team and had practiced during one period at school as well as after school, I still took dance lessons three to four days a week. I haven't danced since before my melanoma removal last August, and I miss it. I used to go to dance class at my local YMCA, but it has ceased to be. I recently found a dance studio that's just for adults across town, and once we're cleared to go out and about in the world again, I plan to drop in for a class or two to decide if I'd like to splurge for the unlimited monthly pass. Your challenge this week is to find simple joy. It could be dancing. It could be enjoying an ice cream sandwich. I guess if you were an extremely creepy child, it could be enjoying unsolved mysteries. Let me know what nostalgic joy you're reveling in this week by tagging a photo TBTW challenge. I don't want to stray too far off the topic of phobias because I do find them fascinating. According to health.com, the most common phobias are acrophobia, fear of heights, areophobia, fear of flying, arachnophobia, fear of spiders, aquaphobia, fear of water, claustrophobia, fear of small spaces, cynophobia, fear of dogs, glassophobia, fear of public speaking, and mysophobia, fear of germs. But over the years, I've learned about a few other phobias thanks to celebrities. Kendall Jenner has tripophobia, which is a fear or disgust of closely packed holes. She wrote in a blog post, anyone who knows me knows that I have really bad tripophobia. Tripophobics are afraid of tiny little holes that are in weird patterns. Things that could set me off are pancakes, honeycomb, or lotus heads. The worst. It sounds ridiculous, but so many people actually have it. In his memoir, Billy Bob Thornton shared that he hates antiques so much that he refuses to stay in a room with furniture from before 1950. This might be a rare phobia, but he's not alone. More than 250,000 people in the United States alone apparently suffer from this fear of antiques. 
Nicole Kidman is what is known as a lepidopterphobe, a person who is terrified of butterflies. It's so bizarre, she told InStyle magazine. I'm not scared of snakes or spiders. She said she once tried to overcome her fear of the colorful little guys by making herself go through the butterfly exhibit at the American Museum of Natural History, but just couldn't make it through. As a little girl, she said she couldn't even go into her yard when she got home from school if there was a butterfly sitting on the gate. In the show notes, I'm also linking Hank Green's episode of the podcast, 10 Things That Scare Me, which is just people in a studio sharing 10 things that scare them. I love his number five. He says, I am terrified of getting people's names wrong to the point where even if I know someone's name for sure, I'm not going to try to say it. Oh, man, (laughs) I feel this way, but mostly about faces, not names. But I can totally identify with this. Okay, friend, that is it for today. Today's Good Time Good Deal is simply a quick plug for Noonday Collection's last chance sale. There's more information on my website at indianaadams.com slash noonday. I got all of my Christmas gifts for teachers, aunts, and cousins because more than 40 items are marked up to 60% off. As always, hit up our Facebook group, My Internet Besties, to share the good time good deals you find with our community. Thank you for the reviews you've been leaving. Hank Green chose today, by the way, as an ad partner. Go to hankgreen.com so that he knows he made a good choice by working with us. And my hometown paper did a write-up about the show today. An Apple Podcast user by the name of Plain in the Sunshine left this review this week. I love starting an Indie Mind Week with this podcast. Indiana is funny, quirky, and very relatable. Every time I listen, I feel like I've just had a chat with a good friend. She ends each show with, friend, I am cheering you on, and that face sometimes makes me smile and sometimes makes me tear up. Motherhood can be hard at times, but I feel seen and known by this show. Keep up the good work, Indiana. That. That is why Today By The Way exists. Motherhood can be isolating, friendship can be difficult to come by in this season, and sometimes the world is too heavy to bear alone. I hope that we can laugh together so that both of us, both you and I, know that we are not alone. Show notes are at todaybytheway.com slash episodes. I'm on Instagram at Indiana Adams, and this Wednesday, the Wednesday emails are back. I am done overthinking them, and I need that extra midweek check-in with you guys again. Sign up to get them at todaybytheway.com slash subscribe. I hope you had a happy 4th of July. I hope that you know that, baby, you're a firework. Today is a new day, and friend, I am cheering you on.